Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus 15, verses 11 through 21. And this comes uh, right on the heels of uh, God bringing his people out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, uh, something they could not have done on their own, um, displaying his glory in a way they could not have imagined. And they get to the other side of the sea, and uh, Pharaoh's army tries to come through, and the sea closes in over them, and they were uh, no more to be seen by uh, the Israelites. They did not have to fear them coming after them ever again. And so they respond, Israelites respond by singing God's praises. They have seen him do something amazing, and they respond with praise. And so we read part of that last week, verses uh, 1 through 10. So we'll pick up there in verse 11 this week and um, read through verse 21. But before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we do thank you for your word, which you have given to us. God, we do pray that you would help us as we hear your word read and proclaimed this morning. God, we pray that you'd help us to, uh, to be those who have ears to hear. God, that you would help us uh, to be shaped by your word and by your spirit, that we'd be formed even more today into the people that you have created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 15, verses 11 through 21 says, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand, and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on, will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Until your people pass by, Lord. Until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Turning then to our gospel reading this morning. It's from Mark 16, verses 15 through 20. We have been going all the way through the book of Mark, and as I mentioned last week, uh, this week's uh, section's the same. It's um, a, uh, a section at the end of Mark that, as your Bible probably points out in there, says the earliest manuscripts and some ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. And so this has been kind of included in our uh, English translations, uh, but it's set aside so that we all know that this did get passed around a lot in connection with Mark, but it may not have been something that Mark himself uh, wrote since it doesn't 
show up in the earliest copies we have. Nevertheless, here it is. Uh, this is after Jesus' resurrection, and let's pick up in verse 15. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. This is the word of the Lord. God. And then if... Uh, if you've been following along for a while, you know that where we are in our sermon series is actually at the very end of the Bible. So it's just about the last page there. We'll actually get to the last page today. And um, and then I guess we're done and we'll just never come back, right? Is that That's not how that works, is it? <laughs> not at all. So uh, somebody asked me, you know, what we do when, because we've been reading through the whole Bible on and then discussing it on Wednesday nights. And, you know, we've been going through from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And we're in James this week, so we're getting pretty close to the end. And they're like, so then what will we do after that, after we finish the Bible? And it's like, well, you never finish the Bible. (laughs) And so what we will do is we will, you get to the last page, and you just turn it over and just keep going. And so we'll go right back to Genesis and go right on through again. And so, um, and I was explaining, this is actually, for our Wednesday night Bible study, this is, we are finishing up our third time through uh, the whole Bible together. It has taken us about six years to get through it uh, three times, and then we'll just go through again. And so with the sermon series, today we're going we're gonna to get the end, the very, very end of the whole Bible. <laughs> and then next week, we're actually going to pick up um, we're going to flip back a few pages and go in with uh, taking a look at 1 Corinthians. And so what we've been seeing in Revelation is a depiction of you know how things really are, and we get to see kind of behind, um, behind the scenes a little bit in these really uh, wild images and this dream logic of how all things are. And then at the very end, we're looking at the things that are yet to come, and we'll look at that some today. But then the question is always remains, so if that's the case, then how do we live? And so we'll look, starting next week, specifically at um, the letter, the first letter to church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians, as we look at people who are trying to live this out in their everyday life, in Corinth of all places, and uh, some of the challenges that they are having as they try to live it out as um, as the people of God, but who are also um, kind of products of their own culture. And so we will be looking at that and seeing what it looks like for us, even today, to be living this out together as his people. Okay, but that's for next week. For this week, it's, it's the end, the end of the whole Bible. And this is such... A great conclusion. Here we go. This is chapter 22 of Revelation, verses 12 through 21. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I warn anyone, or I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Oh my goodness, that's so good, isn't it? This is so good for lots of reasons, but let me just tell you a few of them. <laughs> um, as you go through, if, if you've been paying close attention as we've gone through the book of Revelation, you know that we've, one of the things we talked about is how every line in the book of Revelation it seems to be just bringing forward so much from uh, the rest of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament, but then seeing all of this uh, new in light of Christ. And, um, and so there's so much in every part of Revelation that's bringing forward those things from the Old Testament. And then this particular section is doing that same thing, but with the whole rest of the book of Revelation. So if you've been paying close attention as we've been going through the book of Revelation, you get to this passage and you read it. It's like, I think I've read all these lines before. Almost. But just not arranged like this. But it's like now he's bringing all the stuff from Revelation back forward to this part as we look at uh, Jesus coming soon. And so we have already, we've been looking at throughout the whole book of Revelation is God's victory in Christ revealed to the church. And so we have seen how Jesus is the Messiah Maybe not the way that people expected him to be, but he is, and in a way that's so much better even than what the expectations were. And we talked about how, uh, you know, thinking often was much too small about what the Messiah would accomplish, even though throughout the Old Testament we see that it's, it's always been bigger than just Israel. And yet, then you had people, uh, even in Jesus' day, who were saying, you know, even after Jesus raised from the dead, the disciples are like, at this time, are you going to restore uh, Israel? And it's like, it's, it's, don't you remember Isaiah? It's, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring, or restore, restore the tribes of Israel, bring back those of Jacob I've kept. I will also make you a light to the nations. <laughs> you may, uh, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth, that kind of thing. Now, this has always been a part of what God is doing and always a part of who the Messiah is. And, uh, and this we see in Revelation as well, that Jesus was much more than even what uh, the expectations of the Messiah would have been. And so then we get uh, in the opening chapters of Revelation, these letters to the churches, it's a depiction of, of who Jesus is as he's walking among the churches, or as it depicts it there, the lampstands. 
And then we have, uh, I mean, this is where, uh, <laughs> verse, chapter 1, verse 18, where he's like, I'm the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. Oh, right, just before that. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. And so you see that kind of language there. Uh, verse 8 is where he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. So the Lord God who was, who is and was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Uh, if you go through just chapters 1, 2, and 3, you will find almost all of the languages used here at the end uh, brought up there first. And this is just bringing it all together. It's super cool. Um, then he has in verse 14, where he says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life. That's picking up something from chapter 7. I mean, it just keeps on coming forward. Uh, those who have washed their robes in the blood of a lamb. And it's a, um, let's see. Yeah, this is chapter 7, verse uh, 13 and 14. It says, then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? Where do they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. <laughs> As we talked about at the time, it seems like a strange way to make something white is to wash it in blood, right? <laughs> but this is, what, what is this talking about? What does it mean? And uh, of course, it is the blood of Jesus that purifies and so here again, we see that same language being brought forward. Blessed are those who wash their robes. Wash them how? What does it mean to have to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus rather than in our own righteousness? Take a look back at Philippians chapter 3. This is the kind of thing that Paul talks about when he says, you know, I had basically built this amazing resume uh, of all these spiritual things. And, man, I, you want to know how much I cared about um, the law, I was a Pharisee. You want to know how much I cared about it, like how zealous I was for God? I was persecuting the, the church because I thought that they were not following God. So I was persecuting it. Like I really was passionate about all this stuff. I cared about all this stuff. And he said, but now I look at all of it. It's garbage compared to knowing Jesus. That's the thing that um, that is so different. To ha- and he's like, I want to know him and have a righteousness that's in him, not a righteousness of my own based on works of the law. And this is what this is saying as well, is blessed are those who have the righteous, who have clothed themselves in the righteousness of Jesus, who, um, as it puts it here, have uh, washed their robes. And that they may have a right to the tree of life. We've seen the tree of life before in the whole Bible. Yes, it comes in pretty early in the Bible, in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. Uh, that's what people had lost access to when they got um, you know, banished from the Garden as a result of sin. But we also saw it showing up again already in Revelation, that this is what's going to be a part of uh, the new creation, that there's going to be this tree of life. And it even talked about it as like standing on uh, both sides of the river of life. And you're like, how do you have a tree that's on both sides of a river? <laughs> it's this sort of weird tree. But the, I think the point of it is, like what we see in uh, Psalm 1, where it talks about people like trees. Um, like, What do you mean people like trees? Well, hang on, let me get there. 
This is the way the whole book of Psalms starts. Where it says, uh, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And so you take this image of a tree that's planted by water that yields its fruit. And then you look at the tree of life in the uh, new creation. It's like, it is so planted by streams of water. In fact, it's, it's, on both sides of the river of life. And it just keeps on bearing fruit all month of the year. It's not like there's a season where it bears fruit and then you got to wait until next year before you get more fruit from the tree of life. No, this is just bearing fruit all the time. And it is never going dry. And so here we see, uh, again, this is... Uh, it says, blessed are those who wash their robes, they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Because that's another thing we see with this new creation is you have this, uh, like you have in the uh, opening chapters of Genesis, you have this Garden of Eden. And there's this depiction, like this is where heaven and earth meet this, in this garden. And then as you go forward through the Old Testament, you see this idea of a tabernacle or of a, of a temple that's to be in the middle of the city. And it is this place that is, has all sorts of images that point you back to the Garden of Eden, but it's in this place where God is meeting with his people, where there's this like, overlap of heaven and earth. And then you get all the way to Revelation, and it talks about the whole of creation, this new creation in terms that are both garden and city. And like they're put together and you have almost the best of both worlds in this garden city of the new creation. And there is no temple because this whole place, this is where God is dwelling with his people forever. And, um, and that this is what is part of the new creation and how it's all described. And so that's who has you know, the right to uh, they go through the gates of the city. The city is the new Jerusalem and this whole of a new creation. And then outside then would be the dogs, those who practice magic arts, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. And I think there's a, um, a hint in here as to what this is talking about to the point that you don't say, oh no, I at some point have done one of these things. I guess that means I'm out. That's not what it is, is it? The hint here is the everyone who loves and practices falsehood. You hear that? Loves and practices. <laughs> if, uh, if this is where, I guess if where you want to live <laughs> is in the land of falsehood, then you don't come in to the new creation where truth is, um, is cornerstone. I mean, this is um, Jesus himself as the cornerstone says, that I am the way and the truth and the life. And uh, it is uh, Satan who is described as the father of lies. And so you go, okay, which one do you want? Truth or lies? And you say, well, I want the truth. (laughs) But then you go, but there have been times where I have participated in falsehood. Okay? Is that what you love? 
Is that what you want to practice? And you go, well, no. In fact, I hate it when I do that. And I'm praying about it all the time. God, don't let me do this anymore. Well, that's very different, isn't it? And so here we see, uh, you know, that we'll see this in uh, 1 Corinthians as well. You know, Paul talks to people and says, you know, lists off all these kinds of people that are outside the kingdom. And he's like, and that's exactly what you were, but you're not anymore (laughs) because of what Jesus has done for you. This is that washed um, their robes uh, kind of language. This is being purified by Jesus. And then we go to the uh, verse 16. I've sent my angel to give you the testimony for the churches. This whole revelation, this is for the church. This is for our benefit even now. And he says, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. All right. Just say. What does it mean to be a root of somebody? Like if you're going to be the is the root of David means like he comes before David. He's the one that if David is the plant, he's the root. That the root is what nourishes and strengthens and grows the plant, right? So if Dave, if Jesus is the root of David, he comes first, strengthens him, right? But then he also says, "But I'm the offspring of David." Looks like he's one of the branches. How do you get to be the root and the branch? And Jesus is described as both, and here it just brings it in other places in the Bible, but here he brings it both together. He's like, I am the root and the offspring of David. What? Who, who gets to do that? Well, only one person. <laughs> and, that is, uh, and that is the one who also has described himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the one who is the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. As in the star uh, that gives rise to the the coming dawn. And so you know that the night is almost over and the morning is almost here. And then, and all of this is within the context of him saying, I'm coming soon. And how many parables does Jesus tell where he's like, you know, there's a, here's what the kingdom of God is like. It's like this king who goes away and then he comes back. Or there's a, uh, an owner of a house and then he leaves and then he comes back. Or there's an owner of a vineyard and he leaves and he comes. But there's always this, uh, this is what the kingdom of God is like. And then he tells his disciples, I'm going to go away and I'll come back. And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but this is what we see here is uh, I am coming soon. And then uh, verse 17, spirit and the bride say, come. And the one, <laughs> let the one and the bride, by the way, is the church. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. In other words, we are all together saying, Jesus, come on. We don't need to wait anymore. <laughs> come on. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. And so this is for the people for us to come to, that we'd be coming together. This is what it's always been about. And, um, and of course, there's a warning. There have been warnings throughout this entire book. Like, if this is what the case is, then don't miss it. And so I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of the scroll, if anyone adds 
anything to them. God will add to them the plagues described in the scroll. If you've forgotten what those are, you can go back and read a little refresher. I'll tell you this, shorthand, they're not good. You don't want that. And then if anyone takes away the words, uh, takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in the scroll. And again, if you've forgotten uh, specifically, we talked some about them already. That's really good stuff. You don't want to miss out on that. Then he says, he who testifies these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Two things here. One is, it says, amen, come, Lord Jesus. Like, this is kind of the the call of the people of God. Like, we are those who are together saying, in response to everything we've heard, amen. So let it be. Just as you have said, let it be done. And then as a part of that, where he says, uh, I'm coming soon, we're like, yeah, let that happen. Come on. We invite you to come. And uh, to come as soon as you are ready to come. And this is, uh, there are a couple different reasons why this is the uh, the call of the people of God, is to invite Jesus to come. One, I think, is like the the guy, uh, Bartimaeus, I think, is, calls out to Jesus. Uh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It's a sort of invitation for Jesus to come and to heal him because there's something about him that is broken and he needs healing. And as we are those who have gone through this whole, um, the whole Bible, but the whole book of Revelation, like we ought to be more in tune with the brokenness around us, that things are not as they are supposed to be. And I'm not just talking about, you know, where physically there's an illness or whatever, and there's, there's a lot of that. But even beyond that, how there's a lot of uh, brokenness just in the way the world operates, there's a lot of brokenness there too. And the way in which um, people treat God and treat each other and treat creation, there's a lot of brokenness all throughout that. And so there's a sense in which, like Bartimaeus, we ought to be crying out, Lord, come. Because one of the things that we've seen through this is when he comes, he's making everything right. That he heals all the brokenness. And he makes it all good again. And so you go back to uh, Genesis 1, and you hear how everything is, you know, there's a place for everything, everything in its place, and you have the dwelling of God is with the people. And he looks at the whole thing and says, it's very good. This is what we are also looking forward to, the day when everything is very good again. And we have the dwelling of God with his people again, and the brokenness is healed. And so like Bartimaeus, we're crying out, come Lord Jesus. But there's also a sense in which it's like uh, Peter, who, and a couple Peter and the lake situations. Uh, one is when Peter is, um, it's after Jesus has been raised from the dead, and Peter sees Jesus on the shore, and he's like, he recognizes him. He's like, it's the Lord. And you remember what he does? He, he wraps his cloak around himself, which is kind of a weird thing to do, but anyway, he does. And then he jumps in the water and just like tries to get to Jesus as fast as he can. Why? Because he loves him. 
He loves him. And this is, uh, this is also why his feelings are hurt. Then later when Jesus asks, do you love me? <laughs> yes, of course I do. But there's a sense in which when you love someone, you want to be with them. And you say, but, but Jesus is with us now. And there's a sense in which he is. And we can walk with him and talk with him and communicate with him by prayer and the Holy Spirit. And, and that is all very good. But you all know there's a big difference between FaceTiming with a grandchild and giving him a hug. Right? And you don't FaceTime with a grandkid and go, well, it's basically the same thing. <laughs> No, if you find out they're going to come for a visit, you say, yes, come, 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 as quick as you can. And so the same thing, as we communicate with Jesus, one of the things that we are communicating in prayer is, come, come soon, come quickly, don't delay, come on. We want to see you um, face to face. The other uh, thing with, with Peter that I mentioned on the lake is the time that Jesus is actually walking on the water and Peter's in the boat. And what does Peter say to Jesus? Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. And Peter actually walks to him on the water. A great uh, image of the whole of the Christian life. But this is, I don't know if you noticed this before in verse 17, that the... um, this call to come together is really both sides. And so we are saying to Jesus, come on. And he is also inviting us to come to him. This is the, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. And as we learn from uh, Jesus' response to Peter and uh, on the water, if Jesus tells you to do it, he will empower you to do it. <laughs> And so can Peter walk on the water by himself? No. But he knows. If Jesus tells me to do it, I can do it. So if it's you, tell me to come. He says, come. And then Peter's able to walk on the water um, as a response of faith. And so this for us, we go, well, what does this mean for us? As we come to the end of this, we read the warnings and we say, I don't want to be left out. I don't want to be the ones who... Um, who miss out on the kingdom of God as it comes in fullness. I don't want to miss out on the whole of the new creation. Are we here? And we, and we look at, well, yeah. We look at our own uh, sin and we look at our own weaknesses. And we go, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm disqualified. And I have some bad news for you and some good news for you. The bad news is you are disqualified because we all are on our own in the same way that Peter has no hope of walking on the water on his own. Here's the good news. In the same way that Peter is able to walk on the water because of Jesus enabling him, Jesus enables all of us to come to him. In other words, he does what we can't do. For us. So it makes it the point. If, I mean, he says uh, in John 6, this is a, I bookmarked a lot of stuff I haven't got to yet, but I didn't bookmark this one. 
and I should have. This is John six thirty seven. And he says, All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. You hear that? Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And so if you say, I want to come to Jesus, I just I don't know if he will accept me. When you hear this, if you want to come to him, you are accepted. And in fact, it is um, because of his love for you that he has given his life for you that you would be able to come to him, for him to come to you, for there to be a <laughs> glorious reunion. Um, and then finally, last verse, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. This is, uh, this whole book has been a letter and it ends with the grace of Jesus. What is grace? Talking about as uh, granting rewards apart from credit earned, G-R-A-C-E. It's basically giving somebody not what they deserve, but giving somebody something better than they deserve. The grace of the Lord Jesus. If we've gotten something better from Jesus than what we deserve, yes. <laughs> and it's this grace that is supposed to be with us that we are also to be sharing with others. And listen, this is not the only letter in the Bible that ends this way. They don't all, but some of them do. Listen to this. This is how 1 Corinthians ends. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. 2 Corinthians. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Galatians. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Ephesians, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Are you picking up on this? Notice a pattern? This is Philippians. Uh, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Colossians, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. First Thessalonians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Second Thessalonians, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. First Timothy, grace be with you all. Second Timothy, the Lord be with your spirit, grace be with you all. Philemon, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And finally, Hebrews, grace be with you all. Did you hear it? It's almost like, <laughs> it's almost like we're supposed to remember this. That we are supposed to be a people who are living by the grace of Jesus in everything that we are doing, recognizing that we have gotten better than we deserve and then treating people better than they deserve because of what Jesus has done for us. That ends the book of Revelation, but it doesn't really, does it? <laughs> so we will continue on um, next week looking at how then, as God's people, we do live this out as we uh, live in gratitude for what God has done for us in Jesus and as we look forward to him coming soon. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. God, we do thank you for your word which you've given to us. And God, we do pray that you'd help us. Help us to remember
what you have said. Help us to be guided by your word and by your spirit in everything that we do. God, we pray that you would keep um, the vision of your coming kingdom and the new creation uh, in view as we make decisions uh, for today, as we make decisions for tomorrow. And God, we pray that you would help us as, um, as we go about everything that we do to do so as faithful disciples and as good ambassadors for Jesus. He taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not a temptation, deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.